0: Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. On this episode, we'll be discussing community in Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. So before we get started, what's one of the favorite communities that you've been a part of?
1: So I think for me, it was actually back when I was in college Mm. and I was involved with the International Student Services and Mm. Center on campus and... It was amazing. There was such a feeling of community even though it was spanning all of these different languages and religions and backgrounds and races and it was it was really amazing and really felt like home on campus. Which was really interesting because obviously I was born and raised here in the states but I was just welcomed in. and it was really great. Yeah. What about you?
0: I mean, the one that comes to mind really is when I was living in Japan Mm -hmm. um, and I was in the town of Agematsu because, you know, coming from a city like Los Angeles, even a suburb outside of it, like like South Pasadena, you know, I'm used to still having a very pretty large population I'm a part of. And Mm -hmm. so going to a town of about 5,000 people was very, very different for me. And it was, I was a little worried about it going into it. But it became something that was really, really inviting and really warm. Um, One of my good friends in Japan mentioned that, you know, you, you can kind of get the feel of a city if you visit it for even a week or so. But you can't really get the feel of a small town community unless you've lived there long term and, and that definitely became the case here because you become part of that community and I really felt part of that community in the way that I was welcomed and the way that I was helped as, you know, I went through my first snowstorm and and <laughs> the ways that the people, you know, as the the only Gaijin in town, you know, one of the few foreigners living there, they knew who I was, and so I was called, you know, Chris Sensei everywhere I went because they knew <laughs> that, you know, probably their kid or nephew or whatever is one of my students so like that was really interesting and really powerful for me to be part of a a a small community in that way where I could go shopping and the people knew who I was and
1: maybe you just liked feeling important
0: I definitely like feeling important I mean it also comes with some drawbacks where you know like if I just wanted to go out to my car to get something I would not just go out in my pajamas because I definitely lived next door to some students who I didn't want to see me in my pajamas you know um (laughs) Yeah, or, or every time I went into the local kombini with a, a, a female friend, they'd ask me if that was my girlfriend, you know? <laughs> so that's some drawbacks as well, but being notorious in town is, is, is kind of fun too.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, to we get start with our conversation on Avatar, uh, we have a quote today. It's from book two of Avatar The Last Airbender when Iroh is talking to Toph as she's, she's been upset with her, her training of the Avatar. And so this is a quote that Iroh says to Toph.
1: You sound like my nephew, always thinking you need to do things on your own without anyone's support.
0: Definitely something that describes both Toph and Zuko. Yep. <laughs> um, which I think is interesting because they're both characters that that in some ways have been failed by their
1: communities mm-hmm. and have
0: developed their own communities in response to that. And, and that's been part of their yeah. journey as characters. So.
1: Yeah, and I think it's the idea of community being something that makes individualism be like sacrificed Mm. because it's not only that you care for others but they also you have to allow them to care for you for Mm. it to be a real community i think
0: yeah that's a really good point
1: yeah i make those sometimes some all the (laughs) times So you're up with character, right?
0: I am, yeah. And I actually have a character from Legend of Korra.
1: Okay. So
0: I wanted to talk about Tenzin.
1: Yay, Tenzin! Tenzin is amazing. I love Tenzin.
0: But I think that his his interactions with community are really interesting to me. Hmm. Because he, you know, we, we never really see Aang go through the same process of having to feel like he needs to rebuild the Air Nation, right? Or the Air yeah. Nomads. and. Tenzin, really, that is so much part of his character, even before new airbenders start coming out. And mm-hmm. his family being the last of the airbenders and his children needing to know not only how to airbend, but all the culture that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the students of this, the, you know, the new airbenders coming in needing the same is so important to him, which mm-hmm. I find is really, really compelling and interesting to me because especially before you know, Boomy gets his airbending and Kaya comes back to live with them. He mm-hmm. is so far removed from his siblings, you know? Yeah. Boomy is a non-bender that he clearly, does, you know, doesn't enjoy his kind of older brotherliness or Kaya as a waterbender. He feels kind of detached from them. And then mm-hmm. obviously he, you know, doesn't see his mom very much anymore. She's out in the water tribe and and yeah. his dad has, has passed away. So he really fe- has, I think, a lot of loneliness there. And he feels this weight of responsibility in rebuilding that community, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. But on top of that, something that that is possibly slightly problematic or or just further interesting is how he does have air disciples at the temple Mm -hmm. before the new airbenders spread out. And he's clearly, you know, helping to teach them or at least bringing them into a kind of service aspect within the air nomad society where they're learning, you know, different elements of that culture, but they're Mm -hmm. also servants to him, and he never treats them the same way that he treats the airbenders that he then starts teaching, at least from what we see in the TV show. And so I find it really, really fascinating to see how, for him, it seems like community is tied to bending and your ability to airbend. It's not tied to necessarily your choice to be part of this culture because these new airbenders... Mm -hmm. are part of his community now to him immediately just because they can airbend. And these others are not part of that same community because they can't airbend, even though they've chosen to embrace that culture.
1: Well, and it seems like, it never specifically said this, but it seems like that was the case before too, right? With the air nomads Mm -hmm. and that maybe some of the people there weren't necessarily benders. And it's, it's interesting because maybe it's people who just like, you could have obviously a kid who's not a bender, right? So they could grow up in that environment. Mm -hmm. And so that's still their culture. And that's still their community, even if they don't have that particular skill set. Mm -hmm. But obviously when you're rebuilding a nation, it's a bit different or rebuilding a culture that was basically subject to genocide. It's, yeah, it's very different. But, yeah, I think part of it with Tenzin is that Tenzin is not, which is actually really funny since he's an airbender, he's not a very flexible person Mm -hmm. because when they get that new influx of airbenders, and he's not always very adaptable to be able to alter things to this new type of community that mm-hmm. is different because people are coming from their own cultures too. And sometimes he tries to force things that he learned, but that's not how it quite works. And I think a healthy community, a vibrant community would be able to adapt to change.
0: I totally agree. Yeah. I think that, that that weight of responsibility of him as the caretaker yeah. of this community makes it so that he doesn't think of the community as the people. He thinks of the community as their traditions. Mm-hmm. And so it's more important that the people learn their traditions than that they change traditions to adapt to the new people that they have as part yeah. of their community. Which... At least when first. it
1: when it sounds like that, it's like oh, obviously that's wrong. But if you were in his place and right. you're like, we are the only people left in the entire world,
0: yeah, and it,
1: if we don't have these traditions, no one will. They exactly. will be gone because people committed genocide against us. You know it. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> is one of the things that that I find so intriguing about it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, what about your plot point?
1: So my plot point is how the Team Avatar community changes. Mm. Because in in the first season, you have such a strong connection that gets built. And there's such a strong trust that gets built between Inkdara and Sokka, right? And they're traveling together. And they go through all of these things. And they really are able to depend on each other. And then in season two, Toph gets (laughs) thrown into the mix. And that puts some strain on the community. And Mm -hmm. for me, I was thinking about the two times that this happens and then later in the third season with Zuko Mm -hmm. also puts strain on the community. And with Toph, I think it's because of her individualism right it's Mm -hmm. because she doesn't like going back to our quote she doesn't want to accept help from other people she Mm -hmm. wants to do everything on her own and be completely self-sufficient but that doesn't work in community right because your actions affect other people and their actions affect you whether you want it to or not right and so it takes these like growing pains (laughs) this time of adapting and really getting to know... them getting to know each other more before they're able to, like, have a good, like, community feel with their team avatar. Mm-hmm. And then when Zuko is thrown into the mix, I think that is hard, not only because, obviously, he has problem with those same things that Toph does, but mm-hmm. in, like, a different way, but also, you just add in that element of mistrust. and mm. And I'm not sure how... Much of a community, like I'm not sure where trust falls into the realm of community, and if you can have community without it, because that was really difficult. And Mm -hmm. Katara didn't trust him for very good reasons, and again, it put an entire strain on on all of their relationships.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. As you're saying that right now, it made me start thinking about Team Avatar as a family Mm -hmm. and kind of the growth stages of of. A individual within a family, and how mm-hmm. at the beginning it is all kind of you know this love and warmth and this like building of community together in that way, the mm-hmm. way it is in the first season. Then things start getting more you know once the, the a child basically starts getting more individualistic, they might start having friction with other members of the family, and that's mm-hmm. what we see in season two. And the last one when there's the more that adult relationships going on trust is something that can be a problem and there's more adult concerns than just we don't get along but that like people have feel betrayed and people feel you know yeah there's just like some more kind of intense struggles that you have to deal with as a family to remain maintain that community and so I can kind of see just some symbolically Mm -hmm. like that same style of of change that that may exist there Mm -hmm. because that's that's so right that that the way that the they relate to each other uh, changes so much and I think that shows also how much one person coming into a community, especially that one that's small, can change the the style of that community. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's very interesting because I think probably everybody's experienced that to some degree. Like you have like a tight knit thing and then a new person is introduced and you're just like, Oh no. How is this gonna affect how we do things? And But without that kind of openness to flexibility, yeah, it just, it puts a lot of strain to the point where there's conflict and if it's not dealt with well, you know, that could lead to all sorts of problems like Mm. Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Exactly. (laughs)
0: Definitely some problems there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what is your compelling question?
1: So my compelling question, it's actually funny that you chose Tenzin because my compelling question is how do you think the principle of all life is sacred Mm -hmm. that the airbenders hold shaped, how do you think that shaped the airbender community?
0: Ooh, very interesting. Well, I think that that probably has something to do with them being nomads. That, you know, when you build a permanent community in any location that automatically comes with destruction of some sort of environment, Mm -hmm. right? To make something habitable for humans, you thus have to destroy plants and the animals, or at least disrupt the animals that feed off of those plants, right? Mm -hmm. You're displacing at the very least. Yeah. And so I can see the idea that they only have a few permanent locations being as part of that lifestyle of of them not wanting to permanently disrupt the plants or animals or the other living things that exist within the environment. And, I mean, you could even look at the the temples that they do have. They're in fairly inhospitable environments. You know, they Mm -hmm. aren't in places that are easy for for most plants and animals to live. So I'm just now thinking about that for that reason, but but I can actually really kind of see that as being Mm. their reason for having those locations.
1: Yeah, it does make a lot of sense.
0: Beyond that, I also think that Tenzin's desire to incorporate people from into the Airbending community, regardless of where, you know, their family or nationality or whatever might be from, is also part of that. You know, not Mm -hmm. only is all life sacred, but that you can build community with any kind of life. You know, there's Mm -hmm. nothing I think that, that the idea of all life being sacred also shows that life is equal in some ways you know life there life is not categorized or or, or contained or exclusive mm-hmm. you know life is inclusive life is bringing everything together and so this idea like i i don't know if for example the earth kingdom would have the same way of incorporating in new benders from other cultures you mm-hmm. know so yeah that, that's really interesting what, what were you thinking
1: yeah, so I was I was thinking about it in a couple different ways. So one, obviously, they're vegetarians, mm-hmm, and that yeah. is a big part of their yeah that that really playing out in their culture. But then it it goes to the point also of that the fact that they never had any type of military, mm. and it was because of that that they were able to be wiped out, right? Which is tragic, but I think. I'm a big fan of their stance (laughs) on that. And that that was so much a part of, of their community is that they would not spend time and energy and resources on training and maintaining structures that would cause harm or violence to others. And even if that put them at greater risk, like it was in their belief system. And I think... Because of that, at least from the flashbacks that we see, it does seem like a very peaceful mm-hmm. community and society that they had. And seemed like there was also a lot of room for play and joy and enjoyment of things that you don't really see in, in the other tribes or nations.
0: Hmm, yeah, that's interesting too because based off of you know Aang's ability even from the beginning of the show, and the ability in the last season of Korra for this small band of air nomads, of airbenders, to have such intense power compared to nations of benders and the other things. Mm -hmm. It kind of seems like airbending has at least the potential to be the most powerful of the bending uh, disciplines. So if they were more militaristic, would they be a fire nation? Would they be Mm -hmm. an expansive one that, you know, if they didn't believe that all life is sacred, would they then have more power over the world?
1: I mean, and I think so, right? Because that's what you had in Legend of Mm Korra, right? With Zaheer and how he uses airbending in this offensive, violent, Mm -hmm. oppressive way. And... It wasn't even something that seemed like anybody would have been trained to counter, you mm-hmm. know, because it's that's not the way airbenders operate. That's right. not the way airbenders do airbending. And so it, it very much felt, at least when I was watching it, like, like a defiling of mm. airbending because it was completely contrary to all of their tenets.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally see that. Uh, Which is why I think that he was one of the more compelling villains in the series. For sure. Yeah, very interesting. Well, my compelling question for you is uh, we've talked offline. I don't know if we've we've said it on the podcast yet. We've talked offline about what kind of bender you would be. Yeah. But what community do you think you would most likely be a part, or most easily be a part of within the airbending, or the Avatar world?
1: Hmm... Well, considering that waterbenders are generally around the poles, Mm -hmm. and I get cold very easily, Mm -hmm. that would not be it. Or in the swamp with, like, bugs and such. (laughs) No thank you. I think I would probably be airbender, maybe earthbender. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because I do resonate with a lot of those tenants of uh, the airbending nomads, so that would be great Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then in the fact that also they they don't really have like the same kind of like bloodline familial elements of their Mm. society in the same way so yeah i think i would probably fit in fairly well with them Mm -hmm. but earthbending would also be like really fun to like just make structures and like destroy them and then make them again (laughs) like legos but faster
0: yeah what about you well uh, it might be a bit of a cop-out but i think that i'd probably invest in in republic city um (laughs) you know because i think and we've talked about this before like diversity Mm -hmm. is so important in where i'd like to live you know and so i think living in a place that is built upon the idea of people from all walks of life living together is is really appealing to me but within the four nations I would say Earthbending, or Mm -hmm. the Earth Kingdom, um, because I think that I wouldn't do well as an airbender, (laughs) Um, and I think that the Fire Nation is a little bit too focused on things like honor Mm -hmm. that I would really uh, kind of struggle against, and then the Water Tribes, I could see maybe a little bit, but I would definitely have to get used to the cold, as you mentioned. Mm Mm-hmm and they also have a bit of a, a gendered system at least during sure. uh, during book one so that would be something that would be a, a little rough for me um because i think honestly i would be if i was an, a waterbender i would probably be a healer more than i would be like a offensive waterbender mm-hmm. but
1: yeah yeah makes sense you can break those stereotypes and structures
0: Yeah.
1: well what about a missed opportunity
0: for me, the missed opportunity also comes from Cora, where I think that it would have been nice to see a bit more happen with Bolin and Mako after they find their family in the Earth Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of goes from them just, like, not knowing they had family, and then, like, oh, they meet them, and then, like, three years later, they're really happy about how they have this family. You know, mm-hmm. they, they treat them well and things like that, which is, I think, really great. But... I think it would be very, very interesting to show the differences within their characters and how they relate to that family. Because I think that Bolin and Maka yeah. <laughs> would have very different, uh, different ways of engaging with that. Because they're two characters who you know grew up with each other really as their only community, yeah. and that being so important to them, I I could see. Mako, for example, resenting the family at large a little bit for taking Bolin away from him,
1: sulking um, in the corner, totally
0: sulking in the corner.
1: And Bolin would be like, "Yay, let's eat and have fun together!"
0: Exactly, <laughs> um, and, I, and I think we do see that from Bolin, and we just don't see Mako that really like, that much other than you know giving them a scarf and such like that. But mm-hmm. like. I just, I feel like that could have been a really interesting character study in the two because mm. that is such an important thing for them as two people who grew up without their family for the most part to find that. I think would be much, much more interesting than the kind of few jokes that they, they play it for in the show. So that that's my missed opportunity is to see how, how family could affect them as they progress as characters and, and, and as they develop as characters.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that would have been that would have been interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. What about you? Did you have a missed opportunity?
1: Well, and going back to yours, yeah. I think it'd be very interesting too because they grew up in the Earth Kingdom and Mako is a firebender mm-hmm. and Bolin is an earthbender, seeing how that might play out too.
0: Totally, yeah. That's a really good point.
1: Because there's some parts of their community and their culture that Mako might not be able to gauge this the same way.
0: Well, and even like, you know, their grandmother was probably alive during the Fire Nation's invasion of the Earth Kingdom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That would be interesting as well. So yeah, I think that there's there's a lot there that they could do that I would like to see more of. But I think that one of the problems with the last season of Legend of Korra is just that there's so much going on yeah. and they're relating they're focusing so much on the, you know, political and wider processes that they aren't Really, world building or character developing in, in a way that I wish that they would. That's one of the times when Korra's smaller seasons, I think, it is a detriment to the story.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now I just thought of another one, so now I have two missed opportunities. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Give them to me. Let's do it.
1: Well, no, I'll 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 leave one for if if we come up a, on a different topic later in the future. Okay. So my misopportunity is that you didn't really get to see the spirits and the people in the material world build a strong community together Hmm. right so at the end of season two Mm -hmm. that kind of veil or that separation between those two worlds was split open and and so there was both, right. right? And you you have some of the ramifications of, of what happened with that, but you don't really get to see them meaningfully engaged together to build something where both live alongside each other and how that could look in like a healthy way and how you should have some representation on your Republic City Council mm-hmm. from some spirits. And, and you could have like... Different educational classes and like cultural exchange and stuff like that and you never got to really see any of that which yeah I just think it would be really interesting
0: that's so true I, I think that's definitely a really good point because when it comes to the, the real plot the biggest effects of the spirits coming into the material world are one people are upset at Cora in Republic City mm-hmm. and two that in the last season, they start using the vines to make weapons, yeah, right? But mm-hmm. other than that, there's not really a big change. And that's really unfortunate because that is, you know, they, they, they talk about how Korra doing this is one of the most important things that any Avatar has ever done. This changes the world in ways that no Avatar has in the past.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would love to see what that means. And and they they give spirits a kind of personhood,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but by not engaging with them in these ways, they don't follow through on those spirits' agency mm-hmm. to really engage with what they want and what it's like for them in this new world and, and what mm-hmm. they're doing here and what, what their plans are and how that can or cannot work with humans and, and so on.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think it really could foster good conversations mm-hmm. with people in terms of like xenophobia and things mm. like that because it's like oh you're coming into our city our space and you're doing things that i don't like and you're making it less safe for me or whatever it is and like to s- actually see constructive and healthy ways for both sides and be like hey you are disrespecting this land you know like both sides be able to to come to a nice Mode of existing together and living together and hopefully interacting in in positive ways. I think that would have been cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, do you have a, a takeaway from our discussion?
1: I think my takeaway, honestly, is that like I don't honestly remember a ton, a ton you or what you were talking about with the people who were working and like in service more service types of jobs on the airbender island so yeah I'm I kind of want to look at that more because like I adore Tenzin but then I'm like oh but dude let me let me let me look at your interactions here (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah, that's something that's always been interesting to me because, you know, you, you, they'll have these servants coming out in air nomad robes and, and things like that who are, you know, clearly mm-hmm. feeding or, or eating vegetarian foods and things like that. But it's like, why are you there? Why are you in service to the Last Airbending family? Is it just because you know this is the Lost Airbending family and you want to give that service to ensure that they are survive and are comfortable or what have you? But
1: I mean, I think some of them may be working with like kind of the breeding of the airbending animals, the, right, right, right. Uh, so the sky bison and the lemurs, right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I assume well, some of them like farm and like grow food and stuff. I'd but, imagine. Yeah, but... we, we don't really get to see much. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, so It's very interesting. Well, what about you? What's your takeaway?
0: Hmm. What is my takeaway? I'm gonna I I'm gonna try to. To, to do a you this time and, and try to take a, a lesson learned that I can apply to my own life from the, the kind of themes within Avatar.
1: You, you can try.
0: I can try. It probably won't, <laughs> won't be, I don't know, good. <laughs> but I think that a takeaway from here is that communities can grow even if it's difficult. That, that, mm-hmm. that the... Difficult in transition in growing a community, in adding new people, especially into a community, and deciding what changes to that community these new people might create. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be negatives. Even if they can be difficult transitions, Mm -hmm. that they can ultimately strengthen that community because. They
1: can ultimately save the world. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So I think I guess I'll challenge myself to be a little bit more optimistic when it comes to those kinds of changes, and instead of fearing the worst, but uh, thinking about how, how it might um, might end even better, make the make community even stronger.
1: Mm. One way that you want to be more optimistic, wow.
0: Yeah, well, y- you know me very well, and uh, <laughs> you know that I can sometimes be stressed about relational issues and, and things like that. New people. And exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so yeah that's that's how I challenge myself.
1: Not you though. You new listeners.
0: No no we love He the loves new listeners. you. Yeah, absolutely. You make my life.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're okay. <laughs> Why are you so
0: mean to our listeners?
1: I'm not mean. You want me to be mean? <laughs> you want me to treat them like I treat you?
0: No, please do not. We'll <laughs> lose all of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, why don't you let us know what we'll be talking about next week?
1: Okay, so we're going to wrap back around to look at Star Wars. And let's find our topic. Commitment.
0: Commitment in Star Wars. Exciting. Yes. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash lines. Or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash lines. You can also leave us a review and a rating.
1: And if you really don't want to write us a nice note, which I understand because it's also going to Chris, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is it necessary?
1: <laughs> <laughs> really? I think it's very
0: necessary. <laughs>
1: you don't have to, like, write something long and awesome, you can write something short and awesome or exactly. do a short and awesome emoji.
0: <laughs> yeah, but we absolutely do do really appreciate hearing from you in any of those ways. Uh, every time we, we get some sort of fan feedback, it really uh, delights and entertains us to, to no end. <laughs> we also want to thank Kimberly Taylor-Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. With that, we're going to end here and we'll see you next week. Geek out!